Uh, as was announced earlier, we're continuing in our series in Revelation. So I'll give you a few seconds to find Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. If you haven't got your Bible or your app, uh, it'll be up on the board. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of immorality, but she is unwilling. So, I will cause... Oh, sorry, I will cast her on bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you keep that passage open in front of you? Uh, we'll go through it together. There's obviously some encouraging things in there, some quite heavy things in there. Uh, we'll explore them together. Before we do, though, let me pray. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak powerfully through it, uh, as you did 2,000 years ago and before and to this present moment today. By your Holy Spirit, help us to know what it is that you're teaching us Speak clearly through me and do your work in us, I pray. Amen. So as some of you know, prior to becoming a pastor, I used to work in construction. I worked in construction project management, uh, looking after like, part of the team that did big commercial structures. And this one project that I got placed on, I didn't start at. I got put in halfway. And the reason I got put in halfway is because there was this guy who was in it before me. And the company that I was working for had employed him. They'd done all their reference checks. Uh, they'd done, looked all, had the interview. It looked all good. This guy had started and was doing a good job. However, 
after a little while, it found out that this guy was doing a lot of compromises. He was cutting a lot of corners. If you're into construction, his scopes weren't quite right. His budgets were a bit off. He was basically compromising on heaps of stuff and was having a huge amount of consequences. And so this guy got fired. I was in between jobs and I got brought in, not as any kind of saviour or anything like that. I was just the, the guy that was free. So they chucked him in to fix up the rest. But the point of that story is that there was a, someone who was compromising and it was causing consequences. And that is very much what's going on here in this church in Thyatira. Now, in the evening series, at the moment, we're exploring all these seven churches in the first uh, or the second and the third chapters of Revelation. Uh, we've uh, looked at three of them so far. And if you look at the map, I quite enjoy geography, so I thought I'd give you this map here up on the screen. You can see we've done uh, the first church in Ephesus. So all these churches are in Turkey uh, and Asia Minor. Tim took us through that one uh, two weeks ago. Uh, the church in Ephesus was very much a church that was all doctrine, but no love. That was Ephesus. Then last week, Ange took us through the second and the third church, Samira and Pergamon. And what was going on there is these churches were suffering intense persecution. Samira got a really good tick in their performance review, doing a really good job. Jesus just tells them, keep going. But Pergamon got a bit of a mixed review. And today, we get to the fourth church. They're the middle one in the road. They're kind of very much the, uh, the poor cousin, if you like. They're in the backwaters uh, of the churches, if you like, the church of Thyatira. Now, if you're like me, I had absolutely no idea about Thyatira, about that church or whatever. And so let me give you a bit of a 30-second uh, highlights reel. You know, imagine you're going to the flight center of the first century. This is what they tell you. They'd say, you know, you've gone on a nice tour. You've gone through Pergamon, which is like kind of the big city, the capital of the area. Now you're going to the opposite of that, right? It's kind of like we're in the city of Sydney, Opera House, Harbour Bridge, all that kind of glory. And now we're going out to, to Brett's hometown of Lithgow, all right? That's where we're going. That's Thyatira. But there's two important kind of notable things about this city. The first one is is that it's, it, it kind of protects Pergamon in a military sense. It's kind of like a pawn on a chessboard, uh, but it often gets so easily sacrificed. The enemies, they rampage it, they rummage it really easily. The second thing is that this city is very much like a manufacturing city. So they got lots of metal workers, blacksmiths, you know, people who are using fire to, to make things, to, to sharpen their swords, and very much a city of industry. That's Thyatira, a big network of uh, manufacturing. And that information actually really helps us understand how Jesus addresses the church. Because as we've gone through Revelation, he addresses each of the churches slightly differently. And this is how he starts to the church at Thyatira. He says, To the angel of the church at Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. All right, this is obviously a really powerful image. Right, a Thyatira is like the pawn on a chessboard. This is like the queen, right? It doesn't even need armor for, their fi- for Jesus' feet. It is armor, right? This is power, strong, blazing, fiery eyes. 
But do you see the way that this speaks to the city? For a city that is like being rampaged by people all the time, for a city that is like metal workers, industry, fire, making things, Jesus is coming to them into a way that makes sense, into a way that kind of appeals to their culture, a way that is meaningful to them. And Jesus actually does that in all sorts of ways to all the seven churches. He comes in a way that is making sense to them. He's reaching out to them. He's showing that, I know you, church. I know you intimately. I know what makes sense to you. But he also teaches us what it looks like to be missional. Right? When we talk about sharing the gospel with people, we're trying to share it in ways which make sense to them, in ways that's going to be meaningful. We hear Jesus doing this exact thing here. He never dissolves the truth, but does it in a way which is, makes sense and is meaningful. And so with that, the Thyatron is listening. He begins his performance review. And he starts with a positive. All the churches, well, most of them get a positive. I will see next week that uh, the next one doesn't. But these guys get a nice positive, the good news. They are full of love. They're full of good deeds. This is what it says, verse 19. Jesus says, I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance, and that you are doing more than you did at first. Jesus like it. Even though you guys are the smallest, you know, the ones that are kind of on the backwaters, seemingly insignificant, like, I see you. You're doing a good job. You are laboring on. Your service to others, your, your ministry is strong. You're working hard, laboring in love, serving people. And more than that, these guys, they're not like a flash in the pan. Like they're persevering. They're continuing to go on. More than continuing, they're doing more than they did before. This is positive. This is good. They're really, their deeds are wonderful when they're growing. You know, the two commands, love God, love others, they've got the love others bit down. They're growing in that. Like you think about that in our context, if you're talking to this church or similar ones, you might be talking about, you know, the kids' ministry is growing, youth ministry is growing, your ministry to the poor is effective. Uh, the way that you're sharing about Jesus in your uh, homes and in your workplaces uh, is good. You're, you're advocating, you're fighting for injustice. All good, beautiful things. Demonstrating the heart of God to the world. Like I had the joy of being part of uh, the youth team on this Friday night. And it's just a representation of one of the ministries here. But it was such a joy to be part of that team and see the way that they're trying to love the youth, care for them, share the gospel labor for them and to sit with them at 11.30 at night and, and pray for these young people. That's a joy. That's just an example of one of the ministries here. And that's good, friends. Keep going. Wonderful to, to live out what God has called us to. But there's also a whole lot of unseen things, a whole lot of unseen work and ministry and labor that we do. And Jesus is saying to these Thyatiran church as, churches and to us that, Jesus, he sees that. He sees what other people don't see. He sees the labor and the toil that is loving, that is effective, is valuable to Jesus. It's valuable to his church. It's effective for his work in the world. So friends, in the things that are seen, in the things that are unseen, take the same comfort and encouragement from the, that Jesus gives to the fire tyrants. Keep going. Persevere. It is worth it. That's what's good. That, that's what's really positive about this church. But now Jesus moves to what is bad. One verse of good, 
Now we're getting to the bad. He lays out his rebuke, the things that need to be addressed, the things to be repented of. We get this, verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. She calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food, of food sacrificed to idols. Right, this is, it's obviously bad. Right, this, is, this is wrong. But what is happening here in kind of a broad sense is that the secular society, the things that's going on in the world around the church, is penetrating the church and is pervading the church. It's penetrating and it's pervading the church. Not everybody in there, as we'll see later, but at least a good portion. There's a secular influence, and it's not just neutral. It's a bad influence. I remember when I was a bit younger, uh, I tried to do a nice thing for my dad and make him a cup of tea. I don't know how old it was. Let's say I was under 10, because this makes the story a bit nicer for me. But I was under 10, and went to make him a tea, and I went, he likes one sugar. So I went to where the sugar is kept, the nice white granules, and I got out the, the tub, whatever it was, spooned in, gave it to my dad, and he just spat it straight back out because I'd put salt in instead of sugar. Right? When you do that, it completely changes the tea, right? It corrupts the tea. It's not good uh, for its purpose of drinking anymore. And at Thyatira, the issue is that there is secular false teaching which is coming into the church and is corrupting the church. It's salt in tea, if you like. However, what's more upsetting for Jesus, what's more of a rebuke for the church, it seems as though they've intentionally accepting of this. It's not accidentally putting salt in the tea, it's intentionally doing so, thinking that it doesn't matter. They are compromising their faith by tolerating this false teaching. As I'll, we'll explore this more, but they are seeking to fit in with a culture. And they're going to compromise their Christian identity, compromise their values, compromise their behaviors. Compromising on good doctrine. As I was alluding to with that first church in Ephesus that Tim preached on two weeks ago, that church was all doctrine and no love. Thyatira is the opposite of that. They are warned against a corrupted faith that has like a soft love, that tolerates all things and judges none. Now, Jesus' specific issue here is with a, a woman named Jezebel, calling her a false prophet. Now, when we read anything in Revelation, that's uh, helpful here, is when we interpret Revelation, is to remember that Revelation in itself is an interpretation. Jesus is giving an interpretation, meaning to what's going on in the world, in the church, within the believers, to help them understand what's going on. Now, this woman in Thyatira, she might not have been named Jezebel, probably wasn't, but the church certainly knows who Jesus is talking about. They're under no illusion who this false teacher named Jezebel is. And Jesus is showing them this person is like Jezebel from the Old Testament. There's a woman named Jezebel who is the wife of King Ahab. Now, King Ahab is a, is a king of Israel, so he's meant to be the representative of God to the people uh, in the world. We read about her in 1 Kings 18. 
And basically, this, uh, this wife, Jezebel, she's uh, from another nation. She's not an Israelite. She follows other gods. She has practices which is against the practices of Yahweh, the, the God of Israel. And more than against it, she's like the, the, the cheerleader for the, the slaying of God's prophets. She is against God. And by King Ahab marrying her for allegiances and all these kind of things, the guy who is meant to be God's representative is compromising. He's allowing corruption to come into his life and therefore the kingdom as well. So by calling this false prophet Jezebel, saying this is a picture of compromise. Compromise which is leading to corruption. Jesus saying, church, Jezebel is in your midst. And by tolerating her and allowing her presence and influence, you're compromising your faith. This false prophet, doesn't matter that she's a woman, could be anyone, a guy, a girl, doesn't matter. The voice of Jezebel is compromising their faith. Now, in Thyatira, there's two particular issues that Jesus picks up on. He picks up on sexual immorality and idolatry. If you remember last week when Ange preached through uh, Pergamon, that was exactly their problem too. Very much the issue that's going on in the surrounding area. So I won't go too much into the detail again. Uh, you can listen to that sermon. That would be helpful if you haven't. But we know sexual immorality is wrong. It's not helpful for the other person. It's not helpful for you. It is harmful. And then when it comes to food sacrifice to idols, we know it's not right to serve or to to participate in the worship of other gods. That's what's going on there. But why would that be attractive? Why would the fire tyrants want to do that? Why, how could that be a, a compromise worth taking or thinking that it's a good idea? It seems that this teaching of Jezebel is all about getting the Christians to fit in, to fit in amongst the society no matter the cost. It doesn't matter what the cost is. Like you remember that 30-second highlights reel of Thyatira that I gave, and there was lots of industry, lots of manufacturing in the city. And these manufacturing industries had things called trade guilds. And trade guilds are like kind of um, business groups, trade unions, like the ultimate networking groups. Like if you're in business, like you network, right, in order to, to get business and trade uh, economics. And for the... Um, Thyatirans, uh, that's what they are doing. They're participating in these trade guilds. But what is the problem with them is that these trade guilds are participating in practices which are against God. Their dinners and their gatherings are having like sexual performers. They're having food that is sacrificed to idols, so participating in all this um, pagan worship but to not be part of that is like economic and social suicide. It's not a good idea for them. So Jezebel, or whoever this woman is, is saying, don't worry, don't worry, guys, it's okay. You can do that. You know, food sacrifice to idols doesn't mean anything. You know, we'll just bend the rules here. There's no harm. You need it. How are you going to thrive without these things? Right? The pressure to conform is strong for the Thyatirans. But what about for us? Is there, like a, is there a false prophet of Jezebel amongst us? Now, obviously, you know, you guys have called me, you've called Ange, continue to call us. I'm giving the sermon, I probably don't think I'm a false prophet. However, 
that doesn't mean that there isn't forces uh, that are influencing us away from God. That doesn't mean that the voice of Jezebel is not around. See, churches, going to church, Christians, they are not the only influence in our life, right? There is lots of other influences. The voice of Jezebel is still very much in our ear. It's still very much in our eyes. The voice of Jezebel is competing for our heart. And there's heaps of influences in this world that could be resulting in that kind of compromise for our faith. If you could have a think about it, what, what could be the voice of Jezebel in your life in this moment? Just the voices. You might not be following them, but what are the voices? The things that are influencing you. Things that are shaping how you think. Shaping how you behave. How you see the world. How you think about yourself how you think about others, how you think about God. Now, there could be heaps of things there, (laughs) lots and lots of things that can influence us. I know it's probably hard in this moment to think about it, so can I encourage you? Think about the ways that, things that are influencing you uh, throughout the week. Prayerfully consider it, chat with your Christian brothers and sisters. But I want to press into one thing, one kind of big thing for this moment, and that is the digital world. The digital world. Whatever, not like internet searches, our social media, news outlets, famous personalities, YouTubers, influencers. It's crazy, right? Our world, our culture celebrates people who we call influencers. People who are shaping us, influencing us, how we think, behave. We celebrate them, we endorse them, we follow them. Now, I want to suggest to us that one of the biggest influences can be the digital world. The thing that's discipling so many of us is this. Your mobile phone, your computer. The digital world, through all its mechanisms, is one of the greatest disciplers, the things that is shaping us in our age. Like, you think about the amount of time you spend on your phone or the, the time you spend on your computer with those that digital content. Netflix, TikTok, Instagram, YouTubers, tweets from news outlets, social commentators, whatever it may be. Will we like intentionally or we unintentionally even, we look to these things to create our sense of meaning, to make sense of the world, to shape our worldview, to shape how we think. Algorithms telling us how to feel about the world and ourselves and God. And the influences are not neutral. In your own head, think about the amount of content that you consume in these ways and compare it to the amount of times that you spend with in any form of things related to God. Many of us, certainly myself included, the digital content is going to win by a landslide. Now, this is not to say the digital world is evil or inherently bad. Many, there is elements of it which are evil and bad. However, there's just so many things in there which are just unhelpful. Ultimately, they're shaping us into the likeness of the world, not into the likeness of Christ. 
not into his image. And the voice of Jezebel, the voice of compromise, is very consistently, it's in our ears and it's in our eyes. It's captivating for our attention and our hearts. Now, this is not a sermon about kind of developing that cultural discernment in the digital world. But please, let me encourage you to be aware, to be conscious, consider the things that you are consuming, the way that it is shaping you. And please don't continually compromise and be shaped into the likeness of the world and not into the likeness of Christ. So that's what's been, that, that's where we're at in Revelation here, to come back to it. What's been good, what's been bad. And now Jesus, as he often does throughout all the letters, is going to give the warning. And this warning is one of judgment. And as the church, if the church continues down this path, if they continue to follow Jezebel, the church of Thyatira, here's your warning. And it is pretty heavy. 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. And I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And I will pray each of you according to your deeds. Now there isn't, there's a lot going on here. Um, but it's certainly clear that Jesus is saying, I can see into the, the inner parts of a person's heart. See beyond the actions, can see the actions as well. And what he's saying here is he's not going to let the threat of false teaching go unchallenged. Now, Jesus has been gracious in giving time to repent. He's always gracious. He's invited the woman to stop and turn from her ways of corrupting the church, but she's unwilling. So judgment is going to come to her and all those who follow. The actual punishment of whatever it looks like, we don't know. But you can very much sense that it's a, a metaphorical punishment, casting on a bed of suffering, which matches the metaphorical crime of adultery. Now, all the judgment is quite heavy. It's not easy to listen to. Uh, it's not easy uh, to engage with. It's unpleasant to hear. It's certainly uncomfortable. But this does help us to see how serious it is. But whenever we engage with the judgment of God, with his justice, we always need to remember Jesus, what he did, his person, and remember the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Because God doesn't just ignore injustice. He doesn't leave it unpunished. He dealt with injustice ultimately in the person of Jesus when he went to the cross. We know that. Jesus, he dealt and he conquered evil. Sin, it's not just thrown under the carpet and left to fester. No, it is paid for, it is dealt with, it is conquered. Jesus bore the punishment, the penalty for us. <laughs> and then we're given mercy or offered mercy and grace. We're able to repent and turn and find life. Because God, he is all loving. He deals with injustice, he deals with evil. But then because of Jesus, he offers us life, repent, uh, forgiveness, and freedom. But that doesn't take away from the seriousness of what is being said here. It is clear that Jesus is warning the Thyatiran church, he's warning churches for the next 2,000 and however many more years to not follow the secular. 
to stop thinking that just a little bit of compromise is okay and then a little bit more. There is consequences. And Jesus, he wants us to flourish. He wants us to find life, to have freedom and fullness and for the church to be a blessing to the world, a blessing to the neighborhood, to be a witness to the love and grace of him in the world. And so if we lose our distinctiveness, if we compromise our faith, that does have direct consequences. And God's heart and his action is to ensure that doesn't happen for his church. So that's the warning. But it doesn't end there. Jesus, he goes on to give the promise. The promise of what will happen if they, if they turn, if they stop their compromising ways, if they remain faithful. There's good things. There's beautiful, wonderful things which are in store for them. And so we'll pick up again from verse 26. Jesus says, To the one who is victorious, this is, turns away from compromise and the false teaching, and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter, will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. Uh, Jesus' promise here is that the one who overcomes, the one who remains faithful in Christ, they will share in his reign. So Jesus, he quotes a psalm, a psalm here, uh, Psalm chapter 2, which from this side of the cross we know is speaking all about him. Right? He perfectly fulfills that psalm. And here Jesus is the one that conquers. He's the one that rules, the one that reigns. But here Jesus is saying, you're invited into that. Because you're in Christ, you're invited to share in his reign, to join with him in that. Like to the humble, the fire in church, being overrun by people all the time, saying, no, you guys are part of this reign too. The city that's consciously overrun is now going to be part of Jesus' rule, his kingly rule in the kingdom to come. And then he gives this uh, final promise in verse 28. But I'll also give that one, the morning star. Now, it sounds a bit like a weird ad that we do get on our social media that's like, buy a star in the Andromeda galaxy or, or something like that. But at the end of Revelation in verse 22, uh, in verse 16, it says that directly Jesus is the bright and morning star. So without getting all the complications about what it could be, it's very clear that the bright morning star is Jesus. And so he is saying here, as we hear all throughout the Old Testament, you remain in Christ you are with Christ for eternity. You have him for eternity. You share in all his joy. You share in all his glory for all of eternity. The promise is you remain in Christ. You will reign with Christ. You'll share in his victory. That's a gorgeous, that's a beautiful promise, isn't it? And the, one way that kind of makes sense to me, at least hopefully it makes sense to you, is that if you imagine a, uh, a football team that all the supporters are in the stands, and the football team, they win the championship, win the premiership. The captain goes, they're going to lift the, uh, the trophy. But then as that happens, he invites all the supporters, the ones that remain faithful supporting that team, to come and enjoy, to celebrate, to be part of the victory uh, with the team. They didn't earn the victory. They didn't contribute to it. Uh, they didn't do any of the work on the field. They just remained a loyal supporter to the end. But because of that, invited into the victory for the, in the same way for those who played. Now, in real life, that is absurd. That, that doesn't actually happen. You know, they walk around and they get a bit of it. But no, it, it doesn't actually happen. It wouldn't make sense. 
But Christ is saying for those who are faithful, for the Thyatirans, for those um, since then who are faithful, who remain in him, that's the promise. To gloriously share in the inheritance, uh, in the, the reigning and victory to come. That's our God. That is grace, not deserving it, but being given something undeserved, something beautiful. That's incredible. That's the promise. And that's the promise to the Thyatirans, and it's the promise to us. And don't, to not compromise with the secular world. Of course, there's decisions that need to be made hourly, daily, in order to do that. And they're going to be hard. There's going to be short-term consequences for some of these things. However, Jesus is inviting us into the good and beautiful life. It's a life full of freedom, a life full of goodness, a life full of his blessing, and especially into eternity. So friends, please continue to not compromise. Assess those voices of Jezebel that are in your ears trying to compete for your heart. Remain faithful in and faithful to Christ until he comes again or he takes us into glory. Let me pray. Our good and our gracious God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he did deal with evil and injustice on the cross. And we can now turn to find life, forgiveness in him. Find relationship with you again. Father, please do help us. We so much need your help to not compromise, to know the voices which are trying to turn us from you, whether they are subtle, whether they are strong. By your Holy Spirit, empower us to continue to live for you, to know your truth, to stand on it, that we can be your presence in this world for your glory and the growth of your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.